0: Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship. I want to welcome you again, and especially if you are perhaps worshiping with us, maybe for the first time today, uh, glad that you are here and trust that the Lord will continue to minister uh, to your heart. Uh, we, uh, one of our theological distinctives here at GCF is Gospel centrality. You heard Ryan uh, reference that, even pray about that. We're committed to preaching and teaching and counseling and modeling all the the good news of God's saving activity in Jesus Christ. One of the practical ways that the gospel gets worked out here in a church like ours is through Christ-like humble service and no church like ours would be able to survive very long without humble Christ-like servants. I'm looking at many of you here today who are just that and so we're grateful for all of you. Uh, We're also particularly grateful on this day for Kelly Lundberg. Where are you, Kelly? You're right there. Come on up here if you would. I know this is a total surprise. You're not in trouble, but come on up. You don't look happy at me. Well, we'll deal with that this week, but anyhow. uh, So Kelly is our Valley admin slash Valley... Come on, come on up here, Valley person who does a lot, who knows a lot, who keeps things moving here. Uh, huge blessing. You have been in this role now one year. So this is like her one-year anniversary. So you, yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> so we are grateful for you. This has been, as you folks know, that there's just been a lot on your plate in this last year. You have worn a lot of different mini hats and have done it uh, exceptionally well uh, with a humble Christ-like spirit. And so that's something that we celebrate around this place. Uh, we wanna give credit and honor to those whom honor is due and you are one of those uh, persons. So this is uh, just a small token of thanks on behalf of elders, Drew, Pastor Paul, myself, and really by extension, all of us. Uh, thank you for your hard work. You're not gonna quit, are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> give me that back. <laughs> well, let me see what it is. No, I'm kidding. So uh, let's just give Kelly a round of applause. Thank you. If you, have, if you have your Bible's turn to, uh, the book of Mark, as we continue here in our series in Mark, Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, uh, I'll be reading verse 30 through 44 this morning. Mark chapter six, starting at verse 30. If you're able to, please stand as I read. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's word for us this morning. Be to God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would once again speak Speak to our hearts by your spirit that we might grow. Lord, we need to grow. So speak by your spirit that we would grow in holiness, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would grow in discernment, that we would grow in courage, we would grow in love. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us Yes, as individuals, give us ears to hear what you are saying to us as a church. Help us, help us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus, to recognize Jesus, to treasure Jesus. Above all else, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. With the passing of Queen Elizabeth II a few weeks ago, tributes have come in from really all over the world. I'm not a royal watcher by any stretch. I hear that there are some of you out here who may be, like you have the royal app on your phone. That's cool, we all have, well, some of us have things like that. But by all accounts, Queen Elizabeth was a good queen. She was a godly queen. In fact, for many years, I would always listen to her Christmas Day message There was more gospel in her short message on Christmas day than there were in many of the pulpits in all of England. But upon her death, even the secular news outlets have talked about and reported of her deep, sincere Christian faith. She didn't simply just speak of Jesus, she knew him personally, and that shaped a lot of her monarchy. And so there are all kinds of stories, perhaps you've heard some of them over the years of visitors and vacationers who have roamed around Buckingham Palace and maybe saw her and maybe actually walked up to her and said hi and they didn't even know that she was the queen. And it seems that she played along and had a good laugh about it afterwards. But Queen Elizabeth II was in many ways a humble queen. She served her people well. Her many acts of kindness and generosity we're done with a whole bunch with very little fanfare, very little notoriety. She she served in secret a lot. She was really the the people's queen. She was loved and adored by by many, really by by the masses. Now, not all ruling monarchs are as good and godly as Queen Elizabeth II. In fact, my own brother brother-in-law, he happens to be British. I was Texting with him over the last few weeks and he assured me that not all the English are equally excited about the new king, Charles. It remains to be seen what kind of king Charles will be. But if you're fortunate to live under a good queen or good king, well, then you are blessed. But the opposite is also true. If, if you are living under a cruel monarch or an evil monarch, Well, that's gonna make life really hard, and in fact, miserable. And in the first century world of Mark chapter six, the people, the masses, were familiar with the latter in King Herod. He was far from a good and godly king, as we saw in vivid detail last week, putting aside, if we can, and it's actually really really hard to put it aside, but putting aside uh, his twisted family tree and uh, his evil, sadistic tendencies, King Herod cared very little for anybody but King Herod. He was, as we looked, really a walking mess of contradictions. He was a bully. He was a coward. He had a guilty conscience, conflicted. But in God's grand plan, he served a worthwhile purpose. He made people long for a better king. He made people long for a true king. He made people long for a just king for an honest king, for a humble king. Everything Herod was not, Jesus proved himself to be. And so as good and godly as Queen Elizabeth II was, and by all accounts, she was a a gift to this world, I can guarantee you, church, that nobody is better than Jesus. I can guarantee you that life in his kingdom lived under his watchful care, that's how you and I are gonna flourish. That's how all human beings will truly flourish. The feeding of the 5,000 here that we read about in Mark chapter six is the only miracle outside of uh, the resurrection of Jesus that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so that alone should tell us this is something important. There's something significant that's going on here. And many of us here are, probably familiar with this story as I just read it. I mean, this is this has Sunday school, riveting Sunday school story written all over it, doesn't it? This is one of the first things you, you probably learn uh, if you spend any time in Sunday school. But this is not simply a really, really cool, riveting children's Sunday school story. This is also not the story that you, you would immediately go to if Several hours from now, you look down at the plate that was served in front of you, and you see this, this doesn't look good. I've heard Jesus can do something about that. I got like two crackers and five pieces of broccoli. Come on, Lord, do it again. This isn't also just about Jesus putting on a good show, as if he's on the earth to, to wow people with his miracles. No, this miracle is so much more than that because what happens here in Mark chapter six actually points to the true identity of the true king, King Jesus. And what we'll see here brothers and sisters is that Jesus is different. Nobody's better than Jesus. There's no king like King Jesus and our text gives us two reasons why. Here's the first. There's no better king for the many than a king who has compassion on the many and the many meaning the people, the crowd. Many is a word that's significant in our text and I'll say more about that in just a minute. There's no better king for the many than a king who has compassion on the many. Let me read again verses 30 through 34. The apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, let's rest a while. This first scene really sets up the second scene, the actual feeding of the 5,000. But here it is the case that it's the 12 disciples of Jesus who are in need of food. The 12, remember, in, in the beginning part of Mark chapter 6 had been sent out by Jesus. And they were told to travel light. Don't take any food, don't take any money, you can wear a tunic, that's it. Everything will be provided. And so they did some extraordinary things. They participated in healings and they cast out demons. And now they they reconvene and really Jesus looks at them and says, "It's, it's it's time for some rest. It's time for some downtime. It's time to get away. This is Jesus caring for his disciples. This is Jesus knowing what his disciples need before they even know what they need and brothers and sisters, that's always how it works. Jesus knows. He always knows what you need before you actually need it. He's that's why he's king. And so Jesus here knows exactly where his disciples are at and his disciples are in no small amount of need verse 31. They are tired and they are hungry. Oh boy. Tired and hungry, that's usually not a very good combination, is it? If you're a parent, you know exactly what that's like. Probably hear that a lot. If you're a teenager, you know what that's like. If you have a roommate, you know what that's like. Nothing good usually happens when you're tired and when you're hungry, and this is how Jesus finds his disciples. Now, I want you to notice why. Why are these disciples tired and hungry, well the reason, verse 31, is so many people were coming and going and they did not have a chance to eat. The popularity of Jesus is increasing, crowds are hounding them, the disciples are spent, and Jesus here has a plan. Get in the boat, guys. And so they get in the boat and they try to make their getaway across the lake to a far corner, but that getaway is actually very short-lived because, verse 33, many people saw them leave and recognized them and ran after them. So we need to keep in mind here that the boat that Jesus and his disciples are in, we're not talking an ocean liner here. We're talking basically a canoe. It's Enough for maybe 12, 15 guys. And so they they just pushed it off of shore. They're not very far off of shore at all, just deep enough, a couple feet maybe, where you could paddle a canoe. And so what we have here then is the many in the crowd who see Jesus and his disciples, and they're just running along the shore with them, and they're waving at them, and they're waving their hands, and they're saying, hey, we see you guys going. We'll meet you there. We'll be there when you arrive. So clearly we have... The few, Jesus and his disciples, in a boat trying to evade, at least at this point, the many, the many who are running alongside them in the crowd. They're following them. Well, so much for getting away from the crowds. It's, it's just not going to happen on this day because of the many. And so the, the many there, that's the word, it's, it's only used twice specifically in our text, verse 31 and verse 33, but it is a key word and it's referenced and inferred throughout this whole passage. It, it's actually a Greek phrase, hoi poloi, H-O-I-P-O-L-L-O-I if you're taking notes, hoi poloi. It was not a good term in the first century. In fact, it was a term of derision. If somebody looked at you and said, oh, I know who you are, you're hoi polloi, Mike. That's not a compliment. Hoi polloi was the commoner. Hoi polloi were the forgotten ones. They were just a face in the crowd. They are just part of the many, the masses. If you said, you're hoi polloi, you meant well, you're nothing special. You're just solidly average, if that. You're hoi polloi. And it's the hoi polloi here, the many, that is keeping the disciples from eating. And it's the hoi polloi here, the many, that is now keeping the disciples from resting. So we don't know this, and this is just a little bit of speculation on my part, so take this for what it's worth. But knowing a little bit of how these disciples operated, we've seen some of their weaknesses, we've seen some of their temperaments, I think we can make a pretty educated guess as to how the disciples are feeling about the hoi polloi, the many, who are frustrating their plans. I mean, how do you think that conversation went down in the boat? Okay, you guys need to paddle harder, uh, but Jesus, you see all those people, that you're gonna do something about that, right, Lord? Like, you're gonna tell them we need some R and R. You're gonna tell them this great mission that you sent us out on, So just so we're clear, Jesus, that's the plan, right? You're gonna tell him to take a hike. Like literally, take a hike back around the lake where you came from. Go ahead, Jesus. Isn't that what we would want to have happen? I mean, when you're tired and hungry, when you're spent and famished, what do you most want? Now don't answer that out loud because there's people around you. But you wanna be left alone. Maybe you want a little something to eat and and then to be left alone. But when your really good plan, and it's a good plan because it's your plan, but when your really good plan for the next hour or two of your life gets short circuited, it doesn't materialize because something or someone or maybe many someones get in the way, I mean, how do you typically respond? Several years ago, uh, Becky and I went on a little anniversary trip, we, we don't really have a good track record of doing things like that, so that's on me. Uh, but this time, I actually kind of thought through this, this was probably seven or eight years ago, our kids were much smaller, and so it was no small to do to farm them out and make sure that they all had uh, their bunnies and blankies and you know proper medical stuff and I don't know, waiver forms, Becky took care of all of that, whatever. Uh, and, and so Becky and I were, we were, just, we were just heading to Coeur We were. Tired, I know I was hungry. Uh, and so we, we drive to Coeur d'Alene and it's, at this point we got there and it's four o'clock. Now the timing's gonna be important here in about 10 seconds. And I remember just flopping on the bed. I'm tired, I think I'm hungry. I'm really looking forward to a nice leisurely meal and just a, a, a long romantic walk along the board. I mean, who doesn't like that? And so that was at four. At 4.25, Becky's phone rings. I told her, don't answer it. But she did, against my better judgment. And at 4.35, instead of a nice leisurely romantic dinner and a nice leisurely stroll while we were heading back into town, uh, Grace was, I think she was maybe three or four, she had spiked a fever and uh, so that's what happened. And so the, the plan got short circuited. Instead, it was a piece of Safeway fried chicken and a McDonald's ice cream cone on the way home. It was awesome. You know, you've been there. You know what it's like when your, your great plan gets short-circuited, gets interrupted. That's actually when you prove whether or not you're really a Christian. Like, if you really love Jesus, all the, all, the, the, all the sermons, all the Sunday school lessons, all the discipleship groups, all the good things that you learned, that's where you start to apply it right there. The disciples here, can't imagine, they're none too happy. But the focus here for Mark is actually on what Jesus does next. How does Jesus deal with the interruption? How does Jesus actually deal with the hoi polloi, the many here who just frustrated the disciples' plans? Verse 34, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on the many because the many were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep only flourish under the watchful care, under the wise care of a shepherd. If sheep get outside of the watchful care of the shepherd, if sheep just kinda go rogue and do their own thing, they're outside of the pen, what happens? Well, sheep are not gonna last long because they don't know how to feed themselves. And, and they're spooked really easily. And there's danger and there's wolves. The hoi polloi here were like scattered sheep. They were fearful, they were weak, they're sick, they're hungry, they need help. And their shepherds, well they couldn't be trusted on, their shepherds only in fact fed themselves and not the sheep. Centuries earlier the prophet Ezekiel wrote, this is Ezekiel 34 verse two, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And in the end, Ezekiel 34 verse 11, God said, I myself will search for them, and I myself will care for them. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is God incarnate to come and care for and search for his sheep. King Jesus is the one that actually has compassion on the many because they had no leader. And literally that that word there for compassion, It means means pity, he was deeply moved, He, he felt pity in his gut, so Jesus looks at the many, he looks at the forgotten, he looks at the masses, all these thousands of people, and he says, my heart breaks for you, because you don't have a king, my heart breaks for you, because you don't have a true king, and that's the heart of Jesus, one commentator writes this, burrow into the very core of what makes Jesus tick. And this is it, gentleness, compassion. Since Jesus is the exact representation of God, this ought not to surprise us, for this is what God himself is like. Exodus 34 verse six, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is a better king. Jesus is the right king for the many, for the hoi polloi. Do you know what King Herod does to the hoi polloi? He kills them. That was John the Baptist. He killed him. The disciples, all these, they're all hoi polloi here. And even today, powerful and corrupt people kill the hoi polloi, whether that's Vladimir Putin or some other maniacal despot. King Jesus is not like them. King Jesus has compassion on the many, on the hoi polloi. King Herod, what does he do? Well, he wines and dines with the elites, with the leaders, the rich, the powerful. King Jesus here spends most of his time with the needy, with the sinners, with the sufferers, with the forgotten, with the outsiders, with the outcasts, with sinners, the hoi polloi in great need. King Herod exploits the hoi polloi for his own end and his own gain. What does King Jesus do here? Well, he actually explains to the hoi polloi about how they can know the true king, about how they can enter into the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? Verse 34, in his compassion, what does Jesus do? He teaches them. He teaches them. Well, what did he teach them? Over and over again in the book of Mark, I mean, we find Jesus' teaching, and his primary theme has been the kingdom of God. So, if his teaching was anything like the rest of what the book of Mark uh, shows us, and I believe it was, then he's telling the many here, the hoi ploi, what they really needed to hear about the arrival of the kingdom of God that God is setting things right, that he is making all things new, and that they need to repent and believe and join him. I mean, Jesus taught them about a better kingdom and about a better king, about a true king, and about how they can enter into that kingdom by faith and live in God's kingdom and really flourish. Brothers and sisters, what what we really need at our deepest level is actually found in the word of God here. We do not need to look outside of that. We don't need to look for other sources. We actually have that here in God's word. And Jesus here teaches the many. Nobody else wanted to teach them. Nobody else gave them the time of day. People, in fact, wanted to kill them. But Jesus teaches the hoi polloi to turn to him in faith and be saved. He has compassion on them. He's deeply moved, and then he moves towards them. Now, that's good news for the hoi polloi in that day, but that is... That's amazing news actually for us in our day because we are the hoi polloi. Look around, we're the ordinary, we're the common, we're the average. It's not to say that we don't have gifts and talents and abilities by God's grace, but we are the hoi polloi. And so you may be saying, look, that would actually be a step up. Most of the times I roam around in this life, I actually feel forgotten. Now, maybe I, I do feel marginalized. I feel like I've been trying my whole life to fit in I pretty much live most of my life as an outsider. Like I'm the one who doesn't really matter. Jesus, in his compassion, looks at you and he says, You matter to me. You matter to King Jesus. You're not just a face in the crowd for Jesus. Even if you don't matter to anybody else today, you matter to King Jesus, and the gospel is for you. And so your days of being forgotten and ignored, they may not absolutely end on this earth, there's no guarantee of that. But if you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, then he will welcome you and he will remember you and welcome you into his kingdom for all eternity. The gospel is for people like us. We're the holy polloi here. Because in the gospel we find a different kind of king. We find a better king. We find a compassionate king. Where would, just let this land on your heart, where do you think you would be if Jesus were not compassionate to you? I mean, what if Jesus was a little bit more like King Herod? That wouldn't be good, would it? I have several friends who are Catholic, and over the years, not not, too much, not very long in that conversation, they tell me about their Catholic guilt. They're not the only ones who have guilt. We got enough evangelical guilt to go around. I should have. can't believe I didn't do that. I should have seen that. I need to be better at this, and so on and so forth. We can sometimes live with this constant fear that, that maybe King Jesus is just hovering here. He's waiting for us to screw up He's just waiting for us. He's waiting for you to mess up and when you do, he's going to be there and you know he's going to just bring down the hammer on you. He's going to condemn you or criticize you and just tell you to get it together. I mean, Jesus knows that we are sheep and sheep like us, all of us, the hoi polloi here, the many, we absolutely need a shepherd like Jesus. So I I want you to begin, brothers and sisters, to live Live in that deep, deep knowledge of the great compassion of God for you. Because God looks at you and he says, I'm not, I'm not judging you, nor do I love you based on this last week of your life, based on your merits. Well, You had a good day, you had a bad day, you've kind of been up and down. God doesn't do that. You would all, and I, we would all fail miserably if it's just based on our merits. But God is saying, that's why I sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take your place there, to be raised to new life for you. So trust in him, put your trust in the merits of Christ, not your own. So that means that we can actually approach the true king with our weaknesses and with our sins and turn to him in faith, because there's no better king for the hoi polloi than King Jesus. There's no better shepherd for sheep like us than King Jesus. Nobody is better, nobody's better than Jesus. Here's the second thing we learn in our text. There's no better king for the many than a king who meets the needs of the many. There's no better king for the many, the hoi polloi, than the king who actually meets the needs of the many. So this is the second scene here, verse 35, really through verse 44. You'll notice that there are a lot of needs here because there's a lot of men. Mark says, if you skip all the way down to verse 44, that there were 5,000 men, now that is not including women and children, so if we included the women and children there, we're probably looking here at a crowd upwards of 15,000, maybe 20,000 people. That's a lot of hoi polloi. And so if feeding 12 hungry disciples was a challenge, we've pretty much reached the point of crisis here. Like this is intervention time here. We have 15 to 20,000 people here who are hungry and need to be fed. Disciples get this, they understand this, and so they, you know, preemptively, I think, they say, okay, Jesus, look, we, we are a million miles from anywhere here, uh, so wouldn't it probably make sense, right, just to send all the people home? At least on their way home, maybe they can hit a drive through or something and they can figure out a solution. On the surface, that actually seems to be pretty reasonable, doesn't it? It, it might even seem to be pretty compassionate on the disciples' part. Like they're thinking ahead here. They're, They're reading the scene here pretty well. But notice what Jesus says, verse 37. (laughs) You give them something to eat. You do it. What? I mean, it actually seems that the response from Jesus there, that's the unreasonable thing. Maybe that lacks compassion. At least it seems. I mean, the disciples, they're trying to be helpful here. They have a plan. They, They think it's actually a pretty good plan. But yet Jesus here kinda, well not kind of, he says, no, I actually have a better plan. And so he says, you do it, you give them something to eat and can't you just see the disciples at that point? Well, they're starting to run the numbers here. And they actually say, well, okay, uh, we got 15,000, maybe 20,000 people, let's just run the math. carry the one, carry the two. Yeah, we're gonna need about 200 denarii to make this happen. 200 denarii was about six to eight months' salary for the hoi polloi. So we're talking at least half a year, even more. So just to throw out a a term, let's say you make $50,000 a year, so you're gonna need to come up with 30 grand to feed this crowd that has just gathered here. So just hands up, be honest. Did anybody come to church today with 30 grand in their pocket or purse? Me neither. I mean, if you did, I'd, I'd love to meet you. Why don't we just meet by this door here right after the service? But nobody walks around with that kind of cash in their pocket. And these disciples, nobody walked around with 200 denarii. And so that's the basis for their question. Like, Jesus, you can't be serious, right? I mean, you don't really expect us to somehow come up with six months, eight months salary so that we can buy all this food. Because that's what it's going to take to feed all these people. Like, this is going to be impossible. And indeed, they're right. I mean, Jesus taught the many. He taught the hoi polloi about the kingdom of God, and now he's actually teaching his disciples, and he's actually challenging them to greater faith. They participated in ministry already. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. They were sent out. But now Jesus is preparing them, well, for what they deemed absolutely Impossible. No way, no how, that's not going to happen. They can't feed themselves. We can't do this, Jesus, so what are we going to do? When Jesus says, well, I actually can do this. I can do this. And that's actually a really good place to be. No doubt every one of you here have something going on in your life, there's some circumstance where you just think, that just seems impossible, I just, I mean, I have faith for this. I don't really have faith for this. I know Jesus. You can work in this area of my life, in this circumstance, in this person, but I that I just I don't think you can do that. That seems that just seems impossible. Brothers and sisters, there's actually a there's something good about that. If it makes you turn to Christ, to trust Him more. I mean, it's actually good to understand more of our limitations and our weaknesses and how weak we are and how frail we are and how we don't have the kind of power that Jesus has so that when that kind of power shows up, we are going to absolutely know that it is from him. Like, make no mistake about it, that is the work of God. And when that happens, don't you just want to be there for that? Don't you just want to be there and be able to say, that is is incredible. Only God could do that. Only the true God could move and do what, I didn't even, I didn't even know he could do that. Jesus is that good and that kind and that gracious and that powerful. He's not like King Herod who uses his power for his own ends. No, Jesus uses his power here to actually satisfy the real needs of the many. So verse 38, Jesus says, well, guys, what do you got? They go and check. I don't think it took them too long to figure that out. Clearly, they don't have enough food to feed 15 or 20,000 hungry people. What do you got? We got five loaves, Jesus, and two fish. Now those loaves were probably more like a a, a thin pita bread, maybe six inches in diameter, nothing huge, and the fish we're talking about here, uh, we're not talking like king salmon here, we're talking sardines, just two little pieces of fish. What's interesting is in John's Gospel, in his account, John chapter 6, verse 9, we're told that that the, 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 the five loaves and the two fishes came from a young boy's lunch. So this young boy just offers up his lunch that his mom made for him, and he gives it to one of the disciples, Andrew. Like, here mister, take my lunch, do whatever you want to do with it. So that's all they got to work with here, is one boy's lunch, but that's actually not what's important. Obviously it's not the size of the fish or the number of loaves that is most important. What is most important is what King Jesus actually does with that. What's most important is what King Jesus can actually do with five loaves and two fishes. It's what Jesus can do with the little that makes all the difference. Most of us, and I'm, boy, I am the most and the many here, For us, hoi polloi, we tend to go through life focusing much more on what we lack than what we actually have. And if we're honest, don't we see what we lack or want or wish we had with crystal clarity and we so often fail to see what Jesus might actually want to do with what he's actually given to us, what we do have. And so brothers and sisters, there there is a principle here. Give what you can, do what you can no matter how small, because you have no idea how God will use that. Let me say that again. Give what you can, do what you can, no matter how small it may seem to you, because you have no idea how God might want to use that, how God will want to multiply that. This young boy hands over his lunch. He gave what he had. You have no idea what God might want to do with your little, your small, your ordinary, until you actually offer it to him in faith. You really have no idea how God might want to work in your life until you offer your life to him in faith. Jesus is saying to his disciples here, you don't have the resources here, guys, to feed 5,000 men, but you can trust and do what the one who actually does have the resources to feed 5,000 men tells you to do, and they do. King Jesus can do a lot with our little, we have all kinds of needs, physical needs, practical needs, no doubt spiritual needs, but we worship a God who, who loves to make known his power and his provision and his sufficiency right in the middle, right in the very depth of all of our needs. So will you trust him this week to do that? Will you trust him to meet you in your great need? And maybe, at least according to you, maybe do the impossible. That's what Jesus is about to do here with the five loaves and the two fish. Notice the instructions, verse 40. He ordered them to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. I kinda feel like at this point the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you, what? Like. These people are hungry, Jesus. They're not lost. Like, what's with the seating chart here? And maybe some, and the many there, the hoi polloi, are thinking, okay, hundreds and fifties, where have I heard that before? They may be thinking, okay, that seems like what Moses did in the wilderness or on the Exodus, and he had us sit down in groups because God was going to provide for us. Okay, maybe there. Some of them may be thinking that. But I think, honestly, Jesus has just a, a very much more practical reason here. With 15 or 20,000 people, he actually wants them to see what he's about to do. I mean, you've got that many people who are hungry, and let's keep in mind, hungry people don't tend to be patient people. There's a lot of jostling. There's a lot of clamoring on top of each other. You have, you know, uh, 15,000 people. People at the back are not going to have any idea what, what's going on in the front. And Jesus here knows that the greatest need of the hoi polloi for these 15 or 20,000 people, their greatest need is to see him is to get a glimpse of him. And so Jesus is now this host of this great impromptu banquet, and the actual miracle here is rather understated, isn't it? We've got all these details leading up to this, and there's intrigue, and there's the disciples, and they're tired and hungry, and then in typical Markan fashion here, he gives us like a verse and a half to actually tell us what went down. He simply says, Jesus took the boy's lunch, said a blessing, he broke it, broke the bread, divided the fish, and everybody ate and was satisfied. No big deal for King Jesus. This just seems to be what he does. How sweet is that? And the disciples are actually, well, they keep giving out bread and fish abundantly. Like every time they look down in their baskets, there's more fish to, to bring out. That's called abundant blessings. That's called doing immeasurably more than all that they could ask or imagine. I mean, those are the kind of blessings that actually last forever. How did that happen? Well, this is the work of a better king. It happened because no, nobody's better than Jesus. Because there's no king that's better than Jesus. Only King Jesus can do the impossible because only King Jesus is God. And it's only God who can do what Jesus is doing here. It's only God who can meet the very real needs at the right time for the many, for the hoi polloi. It's only God that can actually meet your needs today, and I know you have them as I do. You need to be forgiven of your sins, you need to be cleansed, your need for joy, your need for peace, your need for hope, your need for whatever it is, and again, we have Most of us have innumerable needs, but only God can can meet those needs, so you must turn to him. All of these miracles that we've looked at here, and we're gonna look at another one uh, next week, all of these miracles in the Gospels are are like a signpost that points to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus heals, he's actually pointing to a time where there will be no more illness. And when he casts out demons, he's actually pointing to the time where there will be no more evil. And when he raises people from the dead, he's pointing to a time that there will be no more death. And so when he feeds the people here in this miracle, he's actually pointing to the time where there will be no more hunger. In other words, our deepest longings, the deep, deep needs, the deepest longings of our life will be filled in Christ. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's, I mean, what Jesus says there, like you gotta let that land on your heart. Whoever believes in me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That seems to indicate that nothing is impossible for him. That seems to indicate that he's the kind of king that you would want to give your life to and for. That he's the better king. That nobody is better than Jesus. That would also seem to indicate that you're not impossible for him. That whatever struggles you have and whatever you have said that, Lord, I'll take care of this myself. I'm gonna handle this. I'm gonna give you this. Well, you would be wrong, and you'd be foolish if you didn't give everything to him, because you're not impossible for him. Nothing is impossible physically or spiritually for the true king, for Jesus. No one is outside of his ability to help. No one is outside of his ability to save, not not your wayward children, not your really cantankerous boss, not your daily marriage woes, not your own weaknesses, not your vulnerabilities, not your sin, not you. (laughs) You are, you're not impossible for King Jesus. And as a disciple, there's actually no moral flaw in your life that he can't heal, that he can't redeem, that he can't bring grace, that he can't rescue, that he can't forgive, and that he can't save. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. Your sheep. We're all sheep. Jesus loves the hoi polloi so much that he died for you, rose again, and the same hands that broke the bread here and divided the fish in Mark six are the same hands that a little while later would be nailed to that cross. Why? To rescue you. To forgive you to give you and me life. Nobody's better than Jesus. And the great need of our life, the great need for our church, is to know him. It's to worship him. It's to give him everything. Because he is the true king. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we've just looked at a really incredible text, impossible for, in, in, in every sense, at least for human beings like us, but not for you. So Lord, I, I don't know the particular challenges of every person here, but I know that there are some. I know that there are many. And I thank you, Lord, that as you, as you inhabit this service this morning, and as you, by your spirit, are moving around our church here, that you don't see forgotten people, you don't see ignored people, you don't see just the masses and the many, but you see your children. You see those who've been bought with a price, with your precious blood. So Lord, help us. Our great need is to know you, to belong to you, to trust you more than we do, to increase our faith in you, So help us to do that, Lord, this day and this week, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The actual words and the vocabulary that we just read here in Mark 6, we pick up again in a little bit later in Mark chapter 14, it's used at the Lord's table. And so really the feeding of the 5,000 here was meant to point us and instruct us as to the real meaning of communion. So the cup and the bread tell us that Christ's life was given as perfect atonement for our sins, tells us then that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that the hoi polloi, like us, we have life. In Mark 6 here, the, the miracle here, tells us that there actually is no better king than Jesus, that nobody's better than Jesus, that he's the king who in our deep spiritual need, in our misery of our sins, in our miserable state, that he had compassion extended mercy. He's the king that meets all of our needs, spiritual and physical in his grace. Jesus actually really does love the hoi polloi. He really does. He tasted death for us to deliver us. And so we recognize then as we gather for communion that he paid the penalty for our sins. He didn't deserve to be on the cross. We deserve to be on the cross. But when you put your faith in him, well then you too experience life, that eternal life that begins on this earth but then that will last for all eternity when you put your faith in the merits of Christ and the finished work of Christ. Now if you're here this morning and that doesn't describe you, glad that you're here, would love to talk with you more about how you can know the true king, how you can know this Jesus, but we would ask that you would refrain from receiving communion. Just a minute, I'll invite you forward. We have uh, both wine and grape juice here and bread and gluten-free crackers. Uh, so we'll have the, the aisles go first here. You can come on up, take the elements, go back to your seat and chair, and then you can take, them, uh, take the elements there. After they're done, the center aisle will come through. We've got two stations here, so if somebody's there, you can just keep moving along to that one, uh, and then we'll close with a hymn. Let me, let me pray and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we recognize as we are at this point, we, we recognize our deep, deep need for you. Our deepest need was to be forgiven of our sins. At one point we were at war with you, O oh God, and we were dead in our sins, but you by your grace and compassion and kindness made us alive in Christ Jesus. Not only did you make us alive, but you promised your sanctifying grace that would absolutely be sufficient for life for this earthly life, and for all eternal life. So Father, we're aware of our deep needs. We want to be quick to give them to you. And may you continue to pour out your grace and mercy upon us in our need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to come forward.